producer is the world famous and fabulous Thomas Becker, also known as a mad painter. And our guest today is Bill William Bill Kalkaleski. Um, he has been state director of the Michigan chapter of the Mutual UFO Network since 2004. And after a lifetime of his own UFO and abduction encounters, he spent the last two decades actively investigating these otherworldly phenomena, trying to make some sense of the bizarre events that have happened to him personally. What he's discovered confronting these cosmic mysteries is that reality is far stranger than he could have ever imagined. And he's the author of the autobiographical experiencer raised in two worlds, and his personal abduction experiences have been chronicled in the sci-fi documentary, Abduction Diaries. There's a DVD documentary, Abducted by Aliens, UFO Encounters of the Fourth Kind, and the ABC News special, UFOs Seen and Believing. <coughs> and he's served as a consultant for the History Channel, Hanger One, and UFO Hunters, and National Geographic channels of Truth Behind, as well as the Science Channel's Uncovering aliens and close encounters. Wow, you're the rock star, Bill. <laughs> Before I bring you on, though, uh, let me see. Uh, I'll check here with Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson. Yes, yeah, hello. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, uh, listen, yeah. Bill. What I'd really like to, I'd like to hear from you is how MUFON has through uh, its uh, <coughs> its lifetime evolved in its interests and uh, where it's going. Okay, so yes. uh, thanks uh, for having me on the show. Um, Welcome. Uh, I have been part of MUFON since 93, so more than half of its 50 years, um, which it's celebrating right now. And so I, I do definitely have, uh, you know, I've had skin in the game for as long as possible, so I do feel like I can speak to that for sure. Um, when, the, when MUFON started, it was focused expressly and explicitly on craft sightings or light sightings sightings of unusual objects in the sky and its whole reporting system and its whole sort of political makeup of uh, of positions everything was geared specifically towards um, people uh, coming to us saying that we saw this light do a strange turn in the sky we saw a full-on disc, we saw a triangle, all this sort of thing. And, and we would do the reports, uh, you know, diligently. It was at this angle, it was visible for this many seconds, it had this colored light, um, it did affect the electricity, it didn't affect the electricity, that sort of thing. And then what happened over time was uh, that uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, <clears throat> abduction phenomena started to come in. People started to um, become more aware of the abduction phenomena. Now, people have been being abducted, apparently, for probably just about forever. You know, I'm, I'm talking, this, this phenomena may have been even going back millennia, but in its current context, post-World War II, it took a couple high-profile cases like the, the Betty and Barney Hill case and Travis Walton um, to, to sort of tease out of people that oh my gosh that those weird things that happened to me that I never spoke about to anybody wow that's 
happening to other people too and then when the 80s hit and all the big blockbuster books came out from Bud Hopkins and Whitley Strieber, um, you know, Ray Fowler, uh, um, you know, I, I could go on John Mack, David Jacobs, you know, there was just, um, and, and I, I'm leaving out certainly some of the greats as well, just to make the point that the, the book market for those in the UFO community was flooded with the abduction phenomena, and suddenly all these people that either knew or believed that they had been abducted now we're like, oh my gosh, that happened to me, that happened to me, that happened to me, let me get this off my chest. And suddenly MUFON was flooded with abduction reports. And here is a group that's reporting, uh, fun, you know, f- form is just all about lights in the sky or, or crap. You know, when you have somebody give an abduction report, it's much different because you could pretty much do a complete UFO report as a checkbox. Like, you know, have a bunch of colors, you check off the box, time scene, check off the box, you know, a bunch of closed-ended, real simple questions. But then when it comes to um, a contact experience or an abduction experience, you have a narrative. There is no easy way to, to, to you know, capture that in a closed-ended uh, a question. It's rather lengthy. Oftentimes, the report, and many times, somebody who's been abducted once is a frequent flyer. Um, it's, you know, excuse the joke that they've been taken many times, and and they'll have basically a book's worth of material that they'll suddenly dump in the investigator's lap. This is what happened to me my whole life, and the investigators like just got their jaw open, and they're like how am I supposed to capture this report? And for the longest time, it, there, it, MUFON was certainly challenged, but it's now catching up. The reporting forms now allow for a lot more um, flexibility in terms of the reports that are coming in. Um, MUFON has certainly got its arms open to um, abduction and contact experiences. And we have our own experiencer research team, which is led by Kathy Martin, who is in fact the niece of Betty Hill, Betty and Barney Hill. So mm-hmm. we we have a team together that does focus on the phenomena. Of course, what hasn't changed is the depth and the complexity of these reports. So they're they're not you know if somebody is a field investigator, it's possible for them to not out multiple sighting reports of UFOs in a single night. You know, a couple calls to witnesses or possibly a visit out to a location or maybe it is a, such a simple case that it doesn't even require, you know, much complexity and they could, you know, knock out, you know, well, I did two UFO investigations today, you know, and wrapped them up and I'm pretty satisfied at the results. But a single abduction or experience account, that can go on for days weeks, months, and, you know, then suddenly you're writing the book of somebody else's life. <laughs> and, and, and and then it suddenly, you know, all the other UFO reports coming in um, are, you know, you have to think, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with all these UFO reports now that every one of these abduction accounts fills up our time, takes all the air out of... Um, you know, our, our whole investigation to focus on them. And certainly the, the abduction, the contact events are 
generally much more interesting um and and really you know uh as bud hopkins once said you know what do and i'm paraphrasing um you know if we're really interested in solving this mystery what are we more interested in the beings or what they drive you know the beings obviously mm -hmm. and so it, it, it creates quite a quandary and so the way that MUFON I think has changed over the years is to really um, while it questioned at what time at, at one time how it was going to handle the abduction thing it just right now in its current state is deciding that it's trying to embrace and take in all the you know abduction com contact information it can regardless of the the weight of these reports. Um, well, has there has there been a movement from uh, frightening uh, uh, frightened people who have been uh, abducted to uh, uh, contactees who don't regard it uh, as frightening as are either neutral or or ameliorative in some way? <coughs> well, I, I think the types of experiences that people have had have been the same over many years, at least from the data that we get in. And I, I, I find myself in a curious position of trying to speak objectively about uh, investigating a phenomena that is very subjective to me because I fall into that category. But uh, um, the what, what we see is that people who've had positive experiences they will uh, be more open to report their positive experiences because um, there's less fear, there's less shame, there's less guilt, there's less fear of ridicule um, of somebody saying, you know, I was taken aboard a, a craft in the middle of the night last night against my will and they stripped my clothes and they poked me all over the place. You know, what kind of response is anybody going to hold from that, from a small minority of people, though they may get due sympathy and compassion, but for a lot of people, they'll just hear, what? This guy is crazy. Uh, he's saying he was young I, I, out and stripped and poked. Like, you know, what kind of fantasies does this nut job have? And, you know, so I, I think we see a disproportionate amount of positive over negative events reported simply because of if somebody says they have a positive experience you know like oh i was in bed last night and this beautiful light came to me and it was really peaceful and people would be like oh okay that's cool they they may not ag agree that that person is credible in their reporting but it, it it doesn't come with that same sort of shame and stigma and fear and negativity that that does often happen in these experiences okay, what we we found is that you know, the people that uh believe they've been uh, contacted by military uh, personnel or CIA personnel tend to be treated more roughly they, than uh, than almost anybody else and, and they are very, very likely to report negative stuff from our military uh, I don't know if you find that but that's what that we get from the people we've interviewed yeah there's there's a very limited uh, I'm, I'm speaking in the local market here in, in Michigan um, very limited amount of people I know that uh, have that sort of military abduction experience. And, yeah, none of them have been positive. I, I will agree with that. Thank you. Yeah. 
I know that it's when we go beyond the data, we go to your speculation. You know a hell of a lot more than we do, and I want you to, you know, talk off the record and speculate to you know about what your what trends you're seeing, what's coming down, and you know that kind of thing. Hmm. Um. What? Uh, try to figure out the, the, the best way to put this into words yeah. is okay so the phenomena is 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 so broad so there's so many variables and so much of, of it is two people can have the same experience and subjectively interpret it in two different ways or maybe even at, at odds with themselves of how to to, to put the the right language to to their experience what during the 80s and 90s um, when all the big abduction books were coming out uh, there was a sort of a crafted narrative for better or worse um, whether or not uh, these correct assumptions were as overreaching as they like to, to make you think or not and, and when I say that, I say um, during that time, the abduction phenomena it was <coughs> told to people to be a hybridization project. Aliens were coming to Earth to take people, to make hybrids for some sort of future event, possibly a, a calamity on Earth. Or possibly to populate other worlds out in the solar, or, or pardon me, the galaxy, or even farther parts of the universe, and and that was, you know, really about it. That's that that was the the uh, the frame, if you will, and with that that being the framework of uh, people being told this is what it's about, this is what the phenomena is about, um, people would take that framework. They would read an abduction book and they would say, oh, that person saw a mantis being. Isn't that crazy? I saw a mantis being. Wow, I'm not crazy. Somebody else saw a mantis being. So now that person's got that light bulb over their head like, this is real. I should find out more about this. So what is this about? And then depending on the book they read, um, the mantis being it could be a loving creature or a creature of fear. And most often, it, it was seen as an icon of fear, and somebody running a hybridization project, overseeing a team of gray aliens running a hybridization project. So then, simply because there were there's that confirmation that somebody else saw that same type of being, that person has now bought into the framework, the narrative at the time. Now, what's happened since is those books have sort of faded into history a little bit, and, and you don't see a lot of those types of books out there that, that stress that sort of hybridization project. And now people have a sort of a, a wide variety of interpretation of their experiences. And it's not to say the hybridization project doesn't exist. Um, I, all evidence seems to point that something like that is part of the phenomena, at least as it pertains to a certain percentage of whomever is visiting the Earth. But it, it, it seems like the, the 
the discussion no longer has a framework. And so there is a much greater variety in what's being reported. And I think that would be the best way to express the trend is that there was more uniformity at a time when people were being told what the phenomena represented than now where that message isn't being pressed as hard. People are taking interpretations with them. So it's, I think, ironically, a little bit more difficult to have a discussion about the phenomena now than it was a few decades ago when the investigators really started to turn their eyes towards abductions and contact and delve in that way. I would think that the trend just represents diversity. One of the things that we existentialists find is that people have differences in what we call confluence, how much they flow together with whatever they're last confronted with and how much they have a rigid separation from that. And it's really something you can measure objectively. And so that's very interesting. You get people like Helen Keller who read a book by Kryptonesia, forgotten they read it, or that was read to them, and they think they wrote it. Or Bridie Murphy who thought she was in ancient Ireland and she was really just in the Chicago exposition. So that is a measure. Different people have different levels of self-boundary, if you know what I mean. And so that's really something that would be interesting for MUFON or other people to test for, is how confluent is this person and how individual and bordered he is in terms of his or her own self. You know what I mean? We find people who are whatever they heard last is what they think they are. So how do we ever determine that and separate that? Because there's always that element. Before we had the first successful heart surgery, we didn't have any successful heart surgeries until the transplants, until the first one happened. So we believe things that we hear, and the more we believe it, the more we create things. And so we're actually co-creating this reality. And for some reason, this UFO abduction contactee phenomenon is serving the totality of existence because it's growing. And people can hear a story and either accept it or dismiss it. They integrate it into their psyche. It's like getting your guiding myth. It's like taking your archetype and embodying it. So a lot of people are resonating with the experience or phenomenon, and they're embodying it, and they're saying, yes, it happened. Are they actually, is this a phenomenon where memories are being triggered, or are they making it up? And if they're making it up and we're just co-creating that reality, it's very interesting to examine it no matter what's going on. For some reason, this is a hot story, a hot meme, and people are embracing it. So what's going on? Back to somebody else. Like yourself, you have the story, right? So there you are. You have your lifelong story, and it's very easy for someone else to dismiss it and go, oh, that bill, he's crazy, right? But, you know, you have your story, and you don't want to be crazy. Because that means, you know, here comes the loony bit. I mean, back in the 60s and 70s, and the 80s, they used to lock us up, right? So nothing else could be locked up and nothing could be taken away. But then, you know, we need to be able to explore this phenomenon. What is going on? 
am I crazy? A lot of celebrities go, well, I must be crazy. No, I don't think you're crazy. I think we're in a virtual reality and we're deciding where the game's going to next. <laughs> so we like it. It's like Facebook. We like that. We like UFOs. We like abduction stories. Okay, so then we're getting more of what we like. So, and, and I don't, I can't really tell you at the end of the rainbow what's real and what isn't. It's not my job. Like, does it serve us? Does it serve us individually, collectively? They have how this is the story. So yes, let's think about yourself. You you have this job with Yukon. Yukon has fifty years of exploring this. You know, it gives a meaning and purpose and something to do while they're in this thing called life. And so and it's an interesting story. And you know I just think we're making it up and kind of creating it, but it, it does serve a higher purpose. It's entertaining, it's interesting, and um for being blanket. Somebody else, take the ball. Bill, what do you think of that? Okay, um, well, if this, I, I don't know, uh, it either serves as an answer of sorts to what you've just said, or or it complicates things much further. Um, I think one of the, I think one of the, the confusing things, too, is it's not just a confusing thing about how people subjectively react to a phenomena that affects on this particular phenomena. But I also believe it's that it's there is a great diversity of of what is happening to people, and um, there's a, a an expression that the um, UFO abduction researcher Paulo Harris uh, says uh, all of the above, and and mm-hmm. it's. And and I, I think it, it it's probably the closest thing to a real answer. So when people say, "Are these things from another planet or another dimension? Are they time travelers? You know, are they us somehow?" And and you know I, I you know I just love the answer. It's probably all the above. It's you know after all, the, all this time that the universe has been just vibrantly alive. You know, you think of a uh, just a, an alien species that was born on another world somewhere and um, has had maybe just even a thousand-year jump on us technologically, what they'd be capable of. Or, you know, you, you extrapolate that out, like maybe a million years. Maybe there's species that have been flying around the, the universe for a million years. And then, you know, by the, you know, you would think, what would be the limitation on a technological civilization that's a million years ahead of us, there would be no, there would be, there would be no restraint. They could, I'm sure they could be flitting around other dimensions, as probably has happened in other dimensions they come here, probably mastered time travel in, in some respect. And then also, I really think that the way that evolution takes a technological species is that they're able to pop in and out their consciousness in in and out of physical form, and that they exist primarily in a dimension of consciousness that just um, finds a way to physically interact with reality when it wants, in a form that it chooses itself. And if they, for example, well, it just seems probably like the greys that um, are so are prevalent, um, they could just be like, yeah, this, this model seems to work best, this little model of puppet that we jump in to seems to work best when we have to go down to the physical dimension and if some other model per- works better well you know maybe you see that model and then when uh, people talk about you know isn't it you know 
crazy how many different shapes of, of UFOs people see. Well, just look at how many different models of cars are on the road right now. Right. As a comparison, I mean, there, you can't, you can't, can't, you can't contain the phenomena. You can't say it's only these species. You can't say they only fly this type of craft. You can't say they're only extra planetary or extra dimensional or from this time or another time. You can't, you can't contain it at all. And and the thing is, there's a real problem with language when it comes to describing the phenomena because things are happening to people that our language has no words for yet and and so when that happens people fill in the blanks in their narratives and say you know um you know the this being came in through a portal of a red light and you know it touched me with a magic wand that which caused my body to vibrate like it was filled with bees and you know, something somebody may describe in an entirely different way or, or you know, what have you. So it's it, it's any number of different things happening to any number of different people who subjectively respond to this wide variety of things happening. And it, it, it creates, I think the biggest problem is that there really is no good way to talk about the phenomena and really be at you have to say something about it. You can't just not talk about it. That's not helpful. Mm -hmm. You have to acknowledge that it exists, but what is happening? And, and, you know, (laughs) and, and what, what is, you know, exactly what is happening is so impossible to put a real lexicon around, a real language around, a real consensus around, because it's all the above. And it's all the above and below, and 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 it's it's it. But like I said, it's a it's a big shame not to be able to talk about it. You have to be able to talk about it, even though you know or you should know at heart that you're just making wild guesses at what's happening. Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, in terms of languaging, I you know you use the term about uh, how things evolve, but our for my studies here on Earth, it's not that they evolve in this slow Darwinian uh, 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 incremental way at all, but it's punctuated by interventionism and what the reports we get from the uh, extraterrestrial reporters is that indeed it's deliberately, but we can still ask ourselves, are the interventions, do they overall create a system? And I think a system hypothesis that there's recurring re- uh, regularities and variations within the system, they tend to uh, uh, organize it at, at uh, increasingly inclusive levels, isn't a bad hypothesis. But I, I, so those are some of the ways that I, I would look at the question. Overall question is, does the overall thing form a, a system? Is is, is uh, God? Uh, a, 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 the overall organization uh, comprehensive of everything or not and if it is of everything what about the things that aren't things <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah those boxes allowed to unfold um, you might want to go into those who want to video themselves you know you can do zoom and, and just be the historians. We we have a, we don't have a conclusion. We're in the middle of the journey, 
and we're the largest organization on earth that's been collecting these stories for 50 years. We have our anniversary. And come on down. We'll have the cameras. We'll record you all. That's what I do in my shows. I record everybody. I listen to them. I don't judge them. I don't make them wrong or bad. I don't shame them. I just say, crank it up. Tell us more. You know, tell us the most bizarre. Well, this is bizarre. Okay, we'll listen to you. And it's almost like doing therapy for the whole world because there's some message in there that's, that's greater than some total of us all that's just uh, struggling to come out. And, and we can help us give birth to our new selves. And it, it's creating this story simultaneously everywhere. It's got some purpose for the story. That's my opinion. <coughs> mm -hmm. that, back to you, Bill. Yeah, exactly. Embrace the mystery and uh, just yeah, do your best. <laughs> yeah, it, it's yes. kind of tricky. now. Now, for me, now to say this, okay. So my personal background is my very first memory at, was at age two when a little gray guy came into my room. Um, I remember it very distinctly. It wasn't something that uh, ever went away. It wasn't something I remembered a couple of years after it happened happened and said, oh yeah, I think I remember something happened back to my crib. No, it burned in my memory the very uh, moment it happened and I had, uh, it was just a little gray guy came to my crib, looked down at me and then walked out of the room. I screamed for my parents who told me to go back to sleep. Um, never came to my room. Um, God bless them. Um, at age four, I was lying in bed when three little gray guys came into my room. I was taking an afternoon nap. I had just laid down, like I had just basically hit the bed and then felt an instant paralysis and then they pulled me out of body and to do a little sort of exercise to see how I could handle myself outside of physical form. And, you know, I had the experiences and I certainly could go into detail about many of these when I was seven, nine, ten, a lot of my teen years and twenties, um, it tended to dissipate, drop off. Um, after that to a great degree but um, you know I did my best especially uh, in what I have recorded in my book the beings that I saw are clearly the beings that I encountered uh, I, I, I make no claims towards a, a bigger project of hybridization even though I've seen a hybrid um, so to me I'm like okay so there is something to that but yeah I it's just you know I'm, I realize of course to, to some degree I'm I'm guilty of the language that was put out there. Now I saw it would but things happen like for example when I was a teenager um, I had an encounter with a mantis like being actually like two. One was in my house very briefly and then another one was on board. I was brought before a mantis being by the Greys to intimidate me because I was being very resistant in my teen years to the experiences that I was having. And this mantis being was very scary to me. It had a very intense energy and told me to go along with the program and that if I did that, I would understand afterwards the value of just going along with the flow of things and how they were directing me um, and not to put up any more hesitation or resistance and I continued to put up more resistance, and um, I don't remember seeing a mantis being again after my, my teenage experience, but I, um, it was before I had even read what was really my first 
abduction book, which was communion, Whitley Strieber's communion. And then in his book, I'm reading, and I, and he, at one point he mentions an experience with a mantis being, and he describes it exactly like the being that I had seen, and he even called it the same thing I, that I had been calling it. I had referred to it as a mantis, and I thought, you know, how how much even stranger that it was that he saw the same thing, but he called it the same thing. So, um, but. computers 
I'm an Aries, you know, I, you know, I have these likes and dislikes and I'm from Michigan, grew up here, all my, you know, all these little sort of things that are self-definitions and, you know, and, and yeah, it, it, it's obvious to, to, to sort of lay out the, the whole argument for the ego piece, but I don't believe that these beings have that same sort of ego. I don't think they root for a particular sports team or, um, you know, think have the same sort of gender um, things that they need to wrangle with that we do on Earth, or you know, probably they since they've been all over the galaxy, possibly the universe, possibly other universes, that they really have a strong link to a piece of property somewhere that they think defines them, and I, I think they just are unlocked the beings themselves from a lot of ego, and so when they come and interact with us exaggerate so hmm? I'm sorry I, I just I just uh, lost what you said Could you say I heard you say when they come and interact with us then I uh, it was blank can you say that again when they come and interact with us what can you say how long, how long was I blocked out of? Just a few seconds or you so? You blocked out about 90 seconds. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, okay, so, uh, okay, so I believe they are beyond an ego state, almost in a sort of a perpetual, um, you know, nirvana, if you will. You know, they don't have the same ego issues that people do. And so they don't understand them. They are so beyond that sort of, um, self-identification with um, their gen with a gender or where they're from or their background story their story you know uh, they when they, when they, they come to us it, it's 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 you know they are coming at a, a level beyond that baggage um, that we carry with us um, so what I think is that when they interact with us, those people that have a very strong sense of their baggage, of who they are, where they're from, their interests, all those things that you, you look at and say, these are things that define me, I think that gap, the wider the gap is between egoless and complete immersion in the ego, I, I think the harder the, it is for the experiencer or the abductee because when a being comes to them, they're like, this thing is not from my planet. This thing does not look like me. This thing does not have similar interests as me. You know, and, and you put a, you know, you just have this long checklist of, you know, nope, 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 incompatible, incompatible, incompatible. And, and so, it, it it creates trauma, stress. Even even the fact that the thing exists, something from my planet doesn't exist. That's an affront. <laughs> you know? um, right, to, right. To take a you know to an extreme, and, and those people yeah. who are are possibly on a path of you know peace and you know less ego and more. Compassion, just you know, just basically, it's a, an ego scale thing. I think that when people, when Free talks about people um, being cool with their experience, 
Um, it's a couple things. One is, it's like I mentioned before, people are probably more likely to, to talk about a happy experience than a negative experience. So the data is skewed towards positive experience already. However, when somebody works through their experiences, it's a lot like people working through any sort of um, things where like our culture has changed in terms of if you look over you know the course of the, the 20th century and all the civil rights you know changes that happened or even the 21st century you know all of that there are people who were brought up to say you know this is how it should be and then suddenly civilization society just gets turned on its ear to them and they're like I, I'm having trouble accepting this change in my, my personal society. And so I think it's, but people work through it, you know. Um, you know, all the people that, for example, that were opposed to gay marriage, just to use a, a single example, and then suddenly it was the law. But that didn't mean that people were changed or conditioned, you know, to, to accept it just simply because the law changed those who were in opposition to it. They had to come to terms with it, and I believe, you know, I'm making an analogy to the abduction experience and that, well, it's a reality. Now you have to come to terms with it, and those people go on a journey of coming to terms with their abduction experience, and then, you know, the journey basically is a turn for the positive. They learn to let go of their ego because they're faced with something that's so unequivocally against what they think the universe should be like that they have to that, the, that is the one path yeah. of peace to them is to go in that, that direction otherwise they go crazy if they close in harder and you know just become completely I guess xenophobic um, to, to use the proper term for it you know then you know then life gets harder and harder for them but for most people I think they they, they do find it as a a path towards less ego and because of that uh -huh. then even if their experience may have been negative they may have been taken aboard against their will stripped and had some sharp things stuck in them but the only way to find any peace in it is to say you know I'm not my body I'm a field of consciousness etc and then you lose some of that pain and fear that, that gets associated with that and so I, I think that that is one of the things that free risks on well. And one of the things that I, I think I see in a, in a personal, you know, in the experience or community, especially locally, is that people have positive or negative experiences, and then they all go on the same journey because they are they, they lose their luxury of disbelief that there's life out there because it's meaningful to them because it happened and they can't can't deny it so they have to do something with that experience to be able to just survive and then often they grow uh bill you know i, I find that it uh it's really useful to it's uh, understand that the sense of i or ego uh is is isn't really unitary and if we really extend you've said uh as uh, as above so below as within so as and without and and as we are, so are other people. Well, I, we find in, in, uh, in the idea of parts or subpersonalities that we have more than one ego, 
and we can center ourselves and really let yourself understand that there's a fractal of everything in the universe, every archetype that there could be within you, then if you go within, then you have nothing to fear from a, 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 a apparently bizarre other because all you need to do is to find that part of you that can resonate because it's in you too. And if you have that kind of orientation, uh, that is, there's a resonant part of me within the part within me that can feel oneness or a coherent field or love with anyone and anything. I think you're free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that's certainly one way to express the yeah the the path to the key uh, to, uh, to to growth from an experience. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, it's Janet. Janet, are you there? We may have lost you. Are you there, Bill? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I was on mute. Sorry, I made it. Um, so I, I just wanted to say it, it seems that. Um, you know, humanity is growing and evolving because they're coming to the place where they can witness these stories and listen to them and no longer just judge them and, and put them in a giggle factor. And that's in part um, because of the work of the Yukon. I, I remember back in the late 80s, I think it was, I, I was in State College, Pennsylvania, uh, 89, maybe 90, 91, and I had... Um, I, I told my, my story as an experiencer, and I know back then it was all nuts and bolts, but I had a wonderful person, and um, I got a room at the, I worked at Penn State University, somewhere, somewhere in one of the offices, I got to meet there, and, and he interviewed me, and I think he recorded it, and, and it was just very powerful to be witnessed and not judged, and I don't remember the person's name, but um, he told me about the, um, and day 12, which I was aware of, but he said that the, the former president of Penn State University um, had an office in, in the university. And lo and behold, within a week of him telling the story, he didn't tell me about it. He had interviewed the president of um, the, the, he was a lot, no longer uh, the current president, he was uh, a tenured, or what do you call it, um, a professional emeritus. Um, he interviewed him, and he was coming out about. Uh, being the, the recording secretary for, for MJ-12. But then when this um, UFON guy went back to him, he, he denied it all. Because somebody got to him and said, no, you can't go with this story. But within a week of us having this discussion, I get an envelope to deliver. And, um, you know, I was working at the university. I go, and it was the office, this guy's office. And he wasn't there, but I thought, oh, maybe I'll have a chance to meet him. But I was walking in his office, and it was kind of, uh, ironic and uh, spooky, you know, that, that happens soon. Anyway, um, back to the now. So we have a few minutes before the break. Would you like to tell us more of your story, Bill, and how you ended up getting involved with Mufon and how these experiences as a um, contactee have affected your life and made you who you are for today? <clears throat> well, when I was uh, growing up, um, there was a lot of other paranormal things going on in the house, and so sometimes it was difficult to 
find a boundary to um, how much something the poltergeist activity was related to ghosts or possibly the UFO activity or some other psychic stuff going on. And I read the, the book Communion over the, over the course of a weekend, which was a record for me in terms of how quickly I read a book. And then when I got the book Transformation, Whitley Strieber's sequel to that, I read Communion so fast because I was looking for happy answers <laughs> to, to my issues and didn't find them. And, and so I, I, I read Transformation much more slowly, very slowly. And I, w- I would read a chapter and sometimes go a couple days, a week, whatever, before reading the next chapter because uh, I was afraid of of the, all the confirmations I was getting from that book. He would talk about experiences that I'd had and, and it would correlate and I'd be like, oh my gosh. So I was afraid to get to the end of that book and because and, uh, I thought I was going to get hit with some sort of whopper like, oh, oh my gosh. It was it, it was it was a tough time trying to make my way through that book and I was uh, one night when I was reading he was talking about um, telepathic messages that he would receive and I, and like hey would be like hey Whitley come to the park and I and I, I remember reading that thinking I'm like wow I've never gotten any sort of just random telepathic messages from out of nowhere that's that's not one thing that I've experienced. And then right when I thought that, it, this thought pushed into my head that was not of my own origin. I don't know how best to describe it. It felt like an email or text popping into my head that said, uh, finish the book and we will prove to you that we exist. So um, then I started reading the book really slow, even more slowly. And the day that I, I, I got all the way to the last chapter, and, and I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't finish the book. And then I had a dream one night that I did finish it, oddly enough, for a, a, dream, a dream that I finished a book. But when I woke up the next morning, I'm like, okay, that means today is the day I finished the book. And it was in the morning. It was about 9 in the morning. And I finished the book. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, now what? Now what's going to happen? They said they proved to be they exist. What, the, what does that mean? So I was just... I was on pins and needles all day, just really nervous about what that meant. And later that night, um, I'm like, well, I'm, there's no way I'm hanging out at home alone. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to hang out with friends. And uh, just to put it into some sort of time context, I was a senior uh, in my high school experience at the time. I was in my senior year, and <clears throat> I went out with two buddies, and the, the three of us saw... Um, over our car, this blue ball of light, about the size uh, of a car, uh, sort of football-shaped, uh, do this sort of tumbling motion slowly over the car, then a white ball of light zigzagged all over the sky, and in the middle of the sky, a red light appeared and disappeared. This was the day I finished the book, that insane night, after um, all those, all that time of having that message stuck in my head, you know, finish the book and we'll prove to you that we exist. So, and then I went to work the next day and I found out another coworker had actually seen it from somewhere else. They lived several miles away and saw something very similar. They saw the blue light. So, to me at that point, I'm like, well, there's no denying it anymore. I have two, um, I suppose you could count three witnesses to the event. And 
every time I, you know, I, I, I start to think, well, it, uh, you know, it, it, you know, these types of things aren't UFO related, for example, I, I go back to that particular event. And so it being a UFO sighting, I went to move on and I reported it and I appreciated the way they handled my sighting. And I decided to become a member and, uh, I've been on board, uh, excuse the fun ever since. Wow. And, and you ended up being the director, which is very interesting. But before we get mm-hmm. there, I just wanted to say, oh, we have two minutes. Um, when I was reading with these communion, they talked about how the UFOs or the ETs affected the electronics. And so I, I, I put that book down on that page and then <laughs> in the middle of the night, the, my TV turns on by itself and it's all the way up Mac, which I don't even ever do. Right. And it's like blaring throughout the house. And then the bedroom was downstairs, and I, I told my husband, I'm not going down there. You have to turn that off. So I made him go down. The bed was uh, freaky. Okay, we have two more minutes before the uh, top of the hour and the commercial break. So so you joined Mufon. Mm-hmm. And how did you get from being just a member to the well, You may not finish this, but we'll pick it up after the break. Oh, I can. I, I could just probably uh, touch on that pretty quick. I became a field investigator, did some investigations. I did the local chapter's uh, newsletter. I became MUFON.com's webmaster at about year 2000 and did that for five years. Um, And then the uh, state director who was retiring in Michigan asked me if I wanted to become state director. And I said, what, are you serious? You know, I did not expect I didn't expect the invitation, and so I thought, well, I'll let it go. He was probably just being, you know, he just put the feelers out. And then he asked me again, and I'm like, oh, he is serious. And I said, let me think about it. And then he asked me yet again, and because I said to myself, if he asks me a third time, I'll do it. And he did. And so I didn't think I was ready for it. And you know, it's it's a learning experience, like all things. But now, 15 years later. I'm the longest Michigan move-on state director in the history of our state chapter. So, um, so yeah, I'm loving every minute of it. It's oh, real adventure. And never a dull moment. Yeah, yeah. Michigan, uh, from my studies, uh, uh, I'm an anthropologist, is a hotbed of all kinds of stuff. It has been for a long, long time. Is, do you find that that too? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of fantastic, big, um, well-known UFO events in, in Michigan. Aloha. Welcome back to Sacred Matrix on Revolution Radio. And I'm your host, Jenny Carolesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha. Alex Lesson, and our producer is Thomas Becker, a bad painter. And our guest is William Bill Konkolovsky. And today we're talking about MUFON and experiences. But before we get back to our show, I'd like to remind everybody to please go over to that donation button on revolution.radio and make your donation because we really need your donation. We just got a new server and we've had lots of interesting problems, but we think we do but we do need your donations. So, I'm here. How are we doing? Interesting is the least least uh, describing. Very interesting. Very interesting. 
Yeah, we, uh, we've got uh, $728 so far this month, uh, which is a little bit above average, but that was thanks to a, an angel donor, and we sure appreciate it, by the way. And, but we could use your money. We had to come off an extra $200 a month to re-register all the software on Studio B, so we really do need your money. Yes, thank you for donating. Thank you. Sasha! Back to you. What did you want to ask? Talk to you in a break. Oh yeah, look, Bill. I, I'm really curious on your take about uh, compare and contrast disclosure from uh, the government and its uh, sources uh, with the, the kind of information that uh, you've been getting and the other MUFON directors have been getting. Well, I, um, I, are you saying compare what has been disclosed? get in at a local level uh, are are fantastic and 
what the government says or doesn't say or the military does or doesn't say about the phenomena to me it's it's representative certainly of what they wish to say or or what they want to withhold but a lot of people seem to be hanging out there people that really are invested in the u f o game seem to be hanging on what the government says or doesn't say or what science says or doesn't say about the u f o phenomena like they're like well when science admits it's true you know you know then then it's true when the government comes out and says it's true then it's true you know that that's sort of a thing but you know it's just go ahead oh my hypothesis is that uh... the release of further information uh... is uh... inhibited because it covers up criminal activity like kidnapping and murder and uh... taking away citizen rights of human beings i think that they're covering up criminal activity and it would be at such a level that there would be no way to prosecute it fully or even a fraction you know it's it's like you know this i mean imagine like the war crime trials uh that happened after the second world war i mean this would be well beyond you know the mass um court um you know this you know finagle that happened after something like that this would this would be this would go back generations this would include you know so many individuals that what could you do it would be it would be so at such a level that you know the government would essentially just say well it's broken you know all these people are lying are criminals and you know doing horrible things to people and and then where do you go from there where do you go from there i think the only way out is 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 truth and reconciliation tell the truth no punishment just look at humanity live with the truth Mm-hmm. So, 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 to a, so to a family that's had somebody as a member of their family who's been claiming all their lives that they've been taken by the military and abused, you know, do they get reparations? You know, you know, it, it, it's really weird. They'll come. They'll be able to provide a story which dovetails with what possibly gets released in some form of disclosure. Not to say that the, the worst parts of it are going to be disclosed first, second, or third, but um, you know, once one of these, once the depths of this start to be un- unloaded on the public, then you know, if somebody remembers, you know, being a military abductee. Okay, now prove it, and try to take the government to court over that. But that, and you know, everybody would know, like, oh my gosh, these stories are true. Uh, uh, what a mess. Yeah. Yeah, and so the yes, the, ultimately, they, they, well, the only way out of it is to make sure that everybody is compensated with uh, everybody in the planet is compensated with a decent living, and so that there's no problem of uh, liability, but everybody's taken care of. That's the only way I see out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because they are guilty, and this has been the truth has been denied to us for so long. And, you know, if we had the truth, we'd have a different reality. We'd have cures for diseases. We'd have, you know, space-faring technologies that we would be using. So it, it, it really has harmed all of us and really alive being denied the truth 
except for those that benefited from it, and they were able to hoard great wealth and control the population. So, yeah, that's probably the only way out is truth and reconciliation and some kind of um, payback. They certainly have enough uh, trillions and whatever of money that they could compensate everybody. It probably wouldn't be much for them to do some kind of compensation. But um, my question is, how does Beauforn work with other organizations like Free and To the Stars Academy? It seems like everybody's vying for the um, the narrative. I call it. They're trying to take control of the narrative. We've got the all these people are coming about out about the secret space program. We have all these whistleblowers that are coming forth on their deathbeds and talking about the military involvement, the extraterrestrials, the extraterrestrial presence, and been here all along. But I don't know if the Islam is addressing that or just going, it doesn't exist in, in the radar, right? Since you're a director, how is Newfound dealing with uh, all these people that are coming forth with their various stories, which do include a breakaway civilization and a secret faith program? Well, Newfound's whole, um, uh, there's a bunch of places to jump in on this, and I'll just pick on the, this as almost randomly. That a couple of years ago, MUFON's whole symposium in Las Vegas was the secret space program. Like every single speaker spoke about um, aspects of the secret space program. Now, that was there. And so, so yeah. So, how does MUFON, you know, uh, uh, and also on Hangar One. Um, if you uh, watched enough episode, you'll see some of the secret space program uh, on those episodes as well. It's difficult for, you know, we're being an all-volunteer army, it's difficult for investigators to investigate, you know, these, these types of accounts because, you know, you got somebody with a nine-to-five job, you know, they, they scraped up enough money for the field investigators, <laughs> you know, guide and you know, they're doing their reports, and then, you know, they get hit with a whopper of somebody that comes to them and says, yeah, I was part of that 20 and back program. And, you know, you'll be like, oh, my gosh, you know. I was, you know, I was going to watch, a, you know, reruns on TV land tonight, and then suddenly you hit me with this. What do I do with it? And so Mufon, as I was saying a little bit earlier, has made steps to come from um, – investigating sightings of craft to investigating sightings of abductions as a big step. Now, larger scale um, stories like this, when they come out, um, you know, that takes a whole sort of special projects team to address things like that. And from what I've seen so far, um, MUFON is open to letting people air these accounts within their within their sphere, you know, in their newsletters, in their conferences, on their television shows. Uh, but, you know, these are very difficult things to actually investigate. So I believe that MUFON um, plays a good neighbor in allowing some of these messages to access through the, the membership through its own official channels. But I, I really don't know how a lot of these invest investigations could even take place. So, and, you know, with regards to MUFON's uh, partnership with other organizations, the Center for UFO Studies, the uh, National UFO Reporting Center, 
um, NIDS at one time. These are National Institute of Discovery Sciences. These were all, you know, good partnerships. Uh, you know, Kufo and uh, New Fork. You know, um, still, you know, you know they, you know, they coexist nicely and work well with one another. Um, free is an interesting thing. Um, I, I haven't actually got much of a perspective from the higher ups in MUFON on their thoughts about free. Though I did speak at a conference myself um, in 2014 where Ray Hernandez was also one of the presenters, so I got to meet him personally. And, you know, he's a good guy, and, you know, I, I don't think that MUFON is generally against anything. I don't think MUFON puts up a fight against a lot of things um, in, in terms of other other organizations, other research. Um, sometimes if somebody's not being above board with what they're doing, if they're being dishonest or somehow not playing nice, you know, then, then certainly the, those opinions are going to come out. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see it as a world of MUFON versus this organization or MUFON versus that organization. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, yeah. you know, um, I was very uh, uh, struck at that Las Vegas uh, talk when uh, Bill Tompkins uh, was speaking and others that the moderator of, uh, of the panel that I was listening to with Bishago and others on it was just what, did not want to hear anything about a direct experience or the co uh, communication by the Morel women to uh, Tompkins. And I got a real feeling that... Uh, MUFON was hostile. You're, you're telling me that 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 isn't the case. That's that, that's interesting. That's one one thing. But the other the other thing is this panic factor that the government uh, uh, and others uh, say, well, we don't want to make people too frightened. Uh, and I did some research on the H.G. Uh, Wells things that everybody uh, talks about. It seems like Roosevelt was uh, appraised of the E.T. presence and was he wanted to go public. And they said, well, wait a minute, let's do a testing. And they hired Orson uh, Wells to do H.G. Wells War of the Worlds in the New York Jersey area and there was there was some panic and it was uh, by the way it was staged and Roosevelt said yeah we, we better keep it all secret but it's bullshit we're not afraid gosh we have missiles that are supposedly coming at us and shot down all the time and stuff like that our lives are instantaneously threatened for heaven's sakes we can deal with whatever comes up that's what I think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so now, so back to you. What would you like to add to this conversation? I'm getting feedback. Go ahead, Bill. Well, uh, a couple yeah. other, you know, a few things to, to work in with regards to disclosure. Big topics, all of them, are uh, if UFOs, um, well, of course, what I'm talking about is if the, the government comes out with disclosure that UFOs exist and it's used, that would mean that all the, you know, the current existing infrastructure about how energy is created and provided on Earth, that is just going to be swept away overnight and all the economic um, <laughs> Uh, ties that are, are, are there with regards to the current way that energy is created and provided, that is going to be 
just earth shattering in terms of economics and then just being i mean it's going to lay waste to the current you know the kind of economic structure the other and a very related thing is just the stock market in general the fear of like oh my gosh we're not the only ones out there what does that mean what does that you know and so the it doesn't take much to give the stock market the jitters and then lastly also it would be you know a situation where the governments of the world would be saying you know there's there's others out there that can outclass us militarily and really there's not a whole lot we can do about it so just as you know just so you know that you know you'd like to have that sort of bit of comfort thinking that your government's got your back but really you know we kind of don't you know they can do whatever they want to you just so you know it would there would be so so many negatives that would just be crushing and 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 here's here's just another just part of that is that religion you know um that people's religious belief i was raised catholic um nowhere in my years when i attended catholic church were they talking about ufos and extraterrestrials so now um you know you you take you know the the comments like balducci and stuff and saying that they're open to the idea of extraterrestrials out there and everything like that but really you know there is not a lot in a lot of religions that take into account people not being the only thing going it would fundamentally change so many religions and so many people with strong religious beliefs that that would be another issue and then just lastly to throw on for a bit of spice is that a lot of people will just riot for any reason their sports team loses they riot their sports team wins they riot so aliens are aliens come out as real there will be a percentage of people out there that are going to riot well, I think we got over Santa Claus and did over the ETs. I think that we need to have other energy systems and the technologies because our planet is, uh, you know, we're losing so many species, the oceans are dying, and we're going to get to the point where we're going to starve and we figure out other uh, systems and figure out what's going on with the uh, global changes. I don't want to call it heating or warming or cooling. Obviously, there's changing the pollution. We need some solutions to make the. It do require we go outside of the box, and part of the uh, the solutions are going to be from these technologies that already exist that are being utilized. And so, I think it's inevitable that it will come out. Uh, actually, when I was on a uh, panel with the Randy Kramer, they were talking about the panic factor and all that stuff. And so, um, I can't remember the stats, but it, it'll take about three months for those people to adjust. And the other might be some, and they're trying to minimize those that are going to jump off of buildings like they did during the Great Depression, but you're not going to save everybody unless um, maybe this uh, introduction to science fiction and to these conferences will reach a, a sufficient uh, critical mass point where at least somebody knows something about, about it, and so when it happens, they'll be able to comfort those who are totally caught off guard, you know, if they have six degrees of separation, maybe that you can't believe it, but your mother does, or your Son does, or somebody does, and they can say, "Okay, let me educate you on this real quick." Mom, don't jump off the bridge. So, I think that um, we do need to do this. It's uh, it's critical at some point, and it will happen. So that's my opinion. Um, who's next? 
Yeah, I would just like to say something about the, uh, the threatened demise of uh, religion as a result of uh, UFO uh, and alien uh, disclosure. And I, and I think that, that indeed it would uh, destroy the, uh, what, the, 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 I'm a student of so, so they go, I'm really immersed in the data of what we call dominator consciousness, which is the consciousness of the Anunnaki generated religions. Uh, against which uh, Jesus and Buddha rebelled, basically. But the but the real hierarchical ones are going to suffer because uh, you know Buddha and Jesus are just both saying the same thing that all beings are, are uh, deserve equal respect and none is better than the other. And it's a big, big thing. And the religions that make people feel inferior and downscale uh, being gone would free us, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm here. I find I find this all intriguing, but uh, I, I just don't understand the why. You know, I mean, why do they keep it secret? Why aren't we out there? I mean, we should be out there. I mean, it's our birthright to be part of all this, or it should be, anyways. Oh. That's something else that, that's something that doesn't make sense to me because, I mean, when you look up at the sky and you see them points of light up there, to us it's just a point of light, but when you look at it through a telescope, there's, there's planets out there. Why would it all be out there if there wasn't more to the universe than us being the center of the universe? <laughs> Sure. For um, to give an example about um, um, reasons that, or evidence of resistance to releasing information about uh, UFOs as it pertains to energy, uh, I'm sure you probably hear all those stories too. Uh, somebody invents a tire uh, that won't puncture, um, and then the, they they patent it, and then the the automotive industry. Um, buys that patent from the individual and you never see that that tire that will really resist a puncture or cars that run on exotic fuels that aren't gasoline well, um, wouldn't that uh, technically be crimes against humanity though that's business I mean I'm not defending it but if somebody patents it and they they accept the offer from you know somebody who's willing to, to buy it off of them you know um, you know there you go. You know, then then it's a matter for the the courts. Certainly, it's crummy, no doubt about it. That's an understatement. But uh, without using four letter language, but it, it's it, you know it's just the way that the economy works. So every sort of I'm surprised that we even have as many electric cars as we have now, um, with all the resistance to that that was was put up. But. It, it, it just seems like, you know, those are some small examples that anything that, you know, would uh, mean less money for the automotive industry, the automotive industry just jumps in and says, well, let's take that, uh, you know, we want people to buy tires, we need people to buy tires, so let's take these puncture-free tires off the 
the market and that way people will continue to buy tires you know people's whole careers are based upon that mentality like you know we have to protect our industry and when we detect a threat to the industry we can you know let's try to take out that threat so you know just i mean on the very small nickel and dime level you're seeing this type of thing on a broader scale you know what would happen if they somebody said you know forget gasoline altogether you know you think of all the people who have their hands in that industry that rely on gasoline and oil and, and, and you know just the whole fossil fuel thing they would throw everything in their power at you know at the threat to make sure that their industry survives and their livelihood survives uh, on an economic basis even if you know they would think well geez yeah it'd be nice if i had they destroy our, the planet yep. even if they destroy the planet so it becomes a point more unsustainable though i mean it's becoming unsustainable we obviously have something going on we are losing so many species that soon there's no there's no enough food to feed us and no fish in the sea all this stuff i mean it, it's not a, a you know we have it's criminal to kill off the whole species and maybe that's mm. part of it maybe that's it maybe there is a negative species that wants to take over prime real estate earth and wants us to die off that's one of the theories too and i know it's a conspiracy but it, it doesn't make sense for us to keep going the way we're doing when we know we're creating great harm and so you can't justify you know making a we, we have to shift into making a living, uh, living in other ways besides fossil fuels. So we have to start thinking outside of the box and into a, a systems analysis of our whole system designed around something other than a fossil fuel-based economy or a war-based economy. So we have a fossil fuel war-based economy, which is destroying the earth and killing people. So just because it's work been done all along doesn't make it right. And we need to start, all of us, individually and collectively, insisting that the truth come out and that we have these other technologies. They're already out there. And we're, no, we're aware of them. People die. And, you know, whistleblowers are dying. Come out and say, I will work on this program, this, this, and that. You know, so somehow we just have to say, enough. I'm tired of you killing off, you know, my, my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, now me. I'm dying of cancer. It could have been prevented because we have the cure for those diseases. And we have other systems that are cleaner and greener that won't uh, destroy our environment. So this is the time we're, we're reaching that period where we didn't have to, we can't justify rationalize it and make excuses for it anymore. We just say stop the insanity. It's time to change gears and switch into another system that honors all life and allows us to live with dignity, beauty, grace, and integrity. So anyway, that's my thoughts. Well, that, that's why I said it was a crime against humanity, and I don't think that should be allowed, regardless if business is involved or not, or high profit. You know. There is a, yeah. The problem is, is that there is a mechanism in place to hold the 20th century, you know, mentality um, in place. There really isn't a mechanism to change that. There, there isn't a, a government official or a government body or anything like that that's organized and saying, you know, let's let's be done with that and let's look to something else i mean you you maybe get some lip service like saying yeah you know alternative energies are a great thing let's throw up a few more windmills and this and that and whatever and it's all a bunch of lip service there really isn't a counterweight to the industry 
that's holding a lock on it. And it's great. And those, you know, those who don't aren't really down in the, you know, in any capacity to actively make active change. I mean, you've got public sentiment, but what what is the actionable part of this public sentiment? We just, you know, yeah. complain, but 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 that doesn't do anything. Yeah, you're talking about well, the real uh, real political world, and I really can uh, I can really dig it. But I can tell you one thing that we anthropologists have found is that if you balance technological innovation with social services intelligently, you reach train people, you readjust people for the artificial intelligence that's going to be doing all the uh, the boring work. Now, just because we have a formula doesn't mean they're good, that, uh, that we have the will to do it. But it's obvious, like Janet is saying, that we're going to be destroying ourselves. I look at somebody like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she's saying, do a systems analysis of the entire thing, and then you're going to be able to uh, handle it instead of going one industry or at a, at a time we're all in this together yeah there's there's uh, people are coming up with solutions and it seems to be the younger generation there's the Greta uh, young lady from uh, was it Switzerland and she's uh, organized people to protest they take off every Friday and so she's got a huge movement going I'm looking at the the, the young candidates like they um, oh, what's his name um, uh, He's the Chinese American, and he says, uh, "Give everybody a thousand dollars a month, and uh, go for the real, real source of the um, the jobs that are being lost are being being automated." So he's going to people like Amazon, and um, they're making trillions and trillions of dollars, and they have to pay one percent of taxes, and they could finance this a thousand a month per person in the United States, which would go back into the economy, and allow people to you know boost the economy, and and it'd be a win for all. So we're looking at solutions outside of the box. And I am working with a um, physicist who is reinventing, he was in a 20-back program, he's reinventing the technologies he uh, was exposed to because apparently they're governed by these contracts, which doesn't allow us to use these other things uh, because um, you know, of the, the treaties and the agreements. But there's nothing to prevent him from re uh, reinventing them. So he's, uh, starting and he's got uh, two or three patents pending and there's something going on in um, the East Coast, I think it's down near you, they have the, the new NASA facility and they're, they said they're going to get back to the moon within five years and so they're looking in order to do that into the free energy technologies because the rocket stuff, all the, all the scientists there at the facilities are saying, come on, we can do better than rockets, you know, we know what we can do. And they're just letting, they're asking the government, our government to allow it to come out. So it may come out because they want to win the space race. America is, is behind and um, there's a push to win the space race. And so you're not going to win it with rocket technology. So we have to go to the next level, which is the free energy systems. So that's what I heard. Could be true. You're not, but that's my sources are telling me. Yeah. Okay. So who wants to interject something else? Um, do you want to continue your story? And if so, what you learned as a... See, that's unusual for you to be a coupon director and a contact experiencer. I just find that yeah. to be so interesting. Yeah, yeah, I want to know so if, you, if your kids are affected. Do they take your kids too? 
Well, so what, what I always say um, is that I am completely open about what happens to me, um, but I, I do not mention my family um, whether or not anything has happened to them. My children are in elementary school right now, and oh. you know, certainly, you know, this is, you know, um, if anything were to be happening to them, I would not say so, yeah, I will, I will say as much as this. Um, it runs um, on my mother's side of the family, and it runs on my wife's father's side of the family. I mean, I'll, I guess I'll get, uh, you know, as, as open as saying that. Um, with regards to my immediate family, um, besides some of the strange things that had happened to my mother and, and the extended family out that way, my t I have four older brothers. I am the youngest of five boys, no girls in the family. So my two oldest brothers have had a ton of experiences <laughs> themselves. Um, and then the next two brothers, between them, zero. <laughs> and then wow. I, and then I come along, and then I, I am, you know, neck and neck with my older brothers, my oldest brothers, in terms of experiences, which is just bizarre in itself. Now, when I was growing up, they, I would talk about my experiences. I would tell my brothers, I would tell my parents, and they would just be like, oh, that's very interesting. And there was no pushback. There was no trying to explain it away, you know, and there was, you know, due comfort given to me about talking about what happened to me. But I never heard their stories until I was in my teens. And then my mother had, you know, said to me, well, you know, these things had always been happening, you know, but we didn't want to scare you or affect you in any way. Uh, um, so we, you know, the, the family kind of held back until I was in my teens. And then I, I got to find out uh, about, you know, all the things that had been happening with my family. Now, my oldest brothers, um, you know, my, um, have... A, a great deal of psychic activity that that I I don't seem to have uh, um, inherited as strongly. Not to say that I don't have my my you know I, I can't pull my weight <laughs> in that respect. But like my uh, second oldest brother, uh, he was going through a phase where he was able to um, have out of body experiences uh, with uh, fairly uh, fairly easy and with regularity. And my oldest uh, brother um, has been uh, particularly lucky at lottery and things like that. Um, that uh, you know, that would have been a nice one to pick up. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah. So so you know, and it's in my family. My cousins have had um, experiences. Uh, just I I love to tell the story of what happened to my cousin one night, and I and I think she enjoys that. I I tell her story too. So it was 1976, and she lived in an apartment with her husband, and she was pregnant. And it was a very hot summer night. And so she was up at 2 in the morning, and the apartment that they lived in had a courtyard in the middle and parking around the exterior of the, the apartments. So she was, in, she was looking out the window, um, sitting on the couch, lights out, looking out at the courtyard, the interior courtyard of the apartment. And she saw a, a man dressed completely in black, um, black gloves and everything, and had a black helmet on that she said looked like a motorcycle helmet. 
except it was extraordinarily oversized we're talking about like dark helmet from space balls you know just giant 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 helmet oversized helmet and she's watching him out in the courtyard and he's just he would like take a few steps and he would stop and then he would like spin around and then he would take another few stops steps and he would pause and he would spin around and he kept doing this all over the place she's like what the heck is up with this guy so she wakes her husband up and uh, says, uh, you know, look at this character out here. And he says, well, you know, it, it is just past 2 a.m. The bar's just let out. We probably got some drunk motorcycle guy just wandered in, you know, to our apartments and, you know, is just making a fool of himself. And so they're watching. And then the guy starts really doing like a tornado thing, just starts spinning around and spinning around and spinning around with his arms out. And so... My, my cousin's husband says, yeah, okay, this is starting to freak me out a little bit, too. You know, it's not like we can easily go to sleep with this guy walking around out there. He goes, I'll, I'll go out and I'll have a word with him. And so he, ste and he steps out. You know, they just think it's some drunk, you know. And so he steps out of the apartment. And uh, as he steps out, his next-door neighbor comes out the door, too. Apparently, they were also watching this guy. And so they're like, like okay the two of us will go and approach this guy and see what his deal is so they start walking out to the middle of the courtyard and as they're about half the distance between their apartments and this guy um, another neighbor comes out of of his apartment a few doors down with a shotgun <laughs> and so they're like well they're like well you know we don't know <laughs> we don't know if we want to escalate it to that point and the guy's like well if you guys you know Oh, whatever, don't want to talk to this guy, I'm going to talk to him. So the three of them, you know, have formed this little mini posse now, including having uh, some guy with a shotgun, and they walk up to this guy in the motorcycle helmet dressed all in black, and he's, he watches them, and he's watching them approach, and as they get to, uh, I don't know how many yards, but pretty close, he suddenly bolts and starts running at top speed, and almost like some sort of instinctual response, uh, they all start chasing. These other three guys start chasing him, and and they and wow, they, wow. they go running. And these three guys are chasing this guy with the the helmet. And if you can visualize what I'm talking about, an interior courtyard to a sort of a rectangular shaped apartment complex with the parking on the outside, there are tunnels that lead out to the exterior of the apartment complex you know, at, at intervals so people can get out to their cars. And so they are chasing this guy, and as the motorcycle guy, and as the motorcycle guy gets into the tunnel, he vanishes into thin air. He doesn't, run out, he doesn't run out and get into the parking lot and then disappear. He just absolutely vanishes, and all three of these guys saw it happen. So, yeah, that, that, that was... Wow. Uh, I mean, so stuff like that, uh, you know, has happened. Any in... idea what it was? Some kind of extraterrestrial? What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, my my cousin, she's seen a lot of spirits. Um, she has a, a lot of experience uh, seeing members of the family that have passed and communicating with them. But in terms of anything like this, um, there isn't anything else like this that, uh, that she's been able to share. But she's in tune 
So, you know, it's, it's hard to say when somebody sees or experiences a particular phenomena, oftentimes, you know, other phenomena, as you fully well know, come into that person's mm-hmm. life as well. Um, you know, if a, if a person sees a UFO, they're more likely to see a ghost, you know, and so on and so forth. Right. So, you know, she's old. I was thinking back to your family. You had the two older ones and then the yourself and then two that had nothing. I wondered if you were to all do like a, you know, um, Ancestry.com and do your uh, DNA analysis, if you might find a connection Besides the UFO activity, um, I, I've certainly had my share of other experiences too. Um, we had a friend uh, who passed from cancer about a decade ago, and um, as he was in the, the very final phases of it, and he was in a coma, one night I woke up and I saw this shaft uh, to see a shaft of light at the foot of my bed, and I just looked at it, and it was just a simple, simple shaft of light, but I knew it was my friend David who was, uh, you know, very, very sick at the time on his deathbed with cancer, and I knew it was him. And he says to me telepathically, um, he goes, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and whatever kills you makes you stronger. And then the light oh, wow. faded. And then the light faded. And so the next day, I, I, um, I was calling around, you know, I'm like, is, is David okay? I, you know, did he pass? I saw his ghost last night. And it turned out he didn't actually die until the next day. So, um, but other people said they had seen his spirit or felt his spirit as well. Almost like while he was still semi-tethered to his physical form, he was doing sort of a goodbye tour. And then before he, you know, crossed over the next day. Um, so. I've heard of people doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, they have like a foot in each world, and so they're able to come and contact people. Yeah. Sasha, do you have any questions or comments or things you want to uh, add? Uh, We're almost out of your time. No, but just the whole point is that uh, 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 many phenomena that have been separated into our intellectual categories are really part and parcel of the same thing, which is a dualism, the self and not self. and. Uh, it really comes down to that. There is, it's, it's a spurious dichotomy made for the convenience of our, our limited intellects. That's what it seems like to me. 
Sasha's speakers are up a little loud. Oh. Yeah, turn your speaker down. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. So, uh, yeah, it, it seems to me that there's um, intentional spin and unintentional spin, and it goes back uh, to, to, to point again to something I said. You know, there is no really reliable way to discuss the phenomena, but it's even worse not to try. So... You know, I mean, if, if, you know, you know, that whole thing, what would, if you took uh, like a cell phone back several centuries and showed somebody, you know, what would they think about it? What words would they use to describe it? And how would they, you know, you know, talk about what is happening with it? And, you know, I think we find ourselves in, in that situation now. We are dealing with technologies that are so far in advance of our own that we can't, we can't you know there is no language for it but we have to talk about it because because it's happening because it's real and just because we don't know the words for it you know we you know it's not like we can ignore it and I, I, I think that one of the things that's interesting that's happening now is a lot of people say well people are a lot more open to the UFO phenomena now and to that to some degree I agree the Hubble and you know Kepler telescopes finding all sorts of worlds that are potentially habitable, and uh, you know water on Mars, you know just little things that sort of open up the aperture just a little bit of saying yeah there's action off off this planet, you know that's certainly happening, but I think another thing is happening at the same time, which is. Um, People, um, I, I would think, at one point, and I'm trying to find the best words to use for this, would be offended and think somebody else is crazy if that person told them a story of, of uh, extraterrestrial contact. But now, I kind of think it's just that people can't even be bothered. <laughs> that, that you could tell them any sort of wild story and they would be like, oh, okay. And then they would be back, um, you know, within a few seconds on their cell phone playing whatever game or doing whatever social media or, or whatever. It's, it's almost as if, like, as long as I have my technological pacifier, I don't care what other people say and think. Um, you know, I'm just into my, my, my little toy here that gives me constant gratification. And... It's, and I don't think people look up anymore. And I, I, I think it's always funny when I hear somebody else say this too, too, is that people just don't look up. Like, say, for example, you know, just as an experiment, if the moon went away for a month, would how many people would notice? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, the moon's gone, the moon. Well, with that in mind, how are you going to do a conference? You're doing a conference... What are the dates of your conference? We're going to have five minutes when you talk about the conference. The 50th uh -huh. anniversary. Are you going to be there? Oh, yeah, I will be there. Okay, uh, so tell us about the conference. Where is it and what are the dates? It's going to be in Irvine, California. It's at the very end of July. I want to think the dates are the 25th through the 27th. If I'm off by a day, I'm off by a day. But it's that last 
weekend in July, you can go to MUFONsymposium.com to get all the details. Now, a couple, um, if I had to pick up one highlight of this symposium, is that Stanton Friedman, who was giving the, 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 the last presentation of the last day, the Sunday afternoon presentation, um, claims that this is his final public speaking uh, um, presentation ever, that he is retiring from doing presentations after he does this talk. Now, people have told me, like, oh, Stanton Friedman doesn't do, you know, talks anymore, and then I see him do talks. But this time, I really believe it. I mean, in a, an auspicious event like the 50th anniversary of MUFON and giving him the last word, it just feels right that this is probably going to be his last presentation. So it would be to be there at that and to be able to, you know, uh, applaud you know, after he's done, after he's done so much over so many years, I, I think it's kind of a special thing. Um, yeah, the, and I would just say visit the website, MoveOnSymposium.com, to, to see all the other speakers. There's a real international flair to this year's event, uh, UFOs all over the world. So um, check it out. And, uh, yeah, I, I would, you know, I'm like I said, I'm definitely going. You know, I, I 50th anniversary, to me, I'm a company man. <laughs> I love MUFON. I've been a member right. for so long, and uh, that I'm I'm geeked about it. Yeah, uh, I wish I could go. I, who knows? Maybe I'll only buy a plane ticket. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, Stanton's great. Um, but you make sense. It's probably his last hurrah. He is going to say goodbye, and he's been right to retire for a couple of years, but I guess people keep saying, oh, come on, one more time, one more time, one more time. But, but uh, I know it was getting hard on him. I would see him, like, in contact, and then it was a lot there, and he's like, oh, my goodness, how long do I do this? So, um, he, he, he served us, served us well. As a I'm going to stop talking. Okay, let me get my feedback. Okay, we've got two more minutes, so go ahead, Bill. Uh, Talk and take this on out because I'm getting help with feedback. Okay. Um, the, um, sure. Um, the website for MUFON is MUFON.com, M-U-F-O-N.com. The website for our Michigan, if you are in Michigan and want to attend one of our meetings, is M is MyMUFON.org. When I say my, I mean M-I-M-U-F-O-N.org. My personal website that I would refer to uh, if people are interested in my background story and my book is experiencer.me. That's experiencer.me. And uh, Michigan has a, a, a nice conference coming up in September as well, um, UFO Contact 2. Um, I would say uh, look up uh, you know Michigan UFO Contact 2, and um, I'm going to be a speaker on that lineup in September as well. September 20th and 21st. Awesome. And um, your book, how can they get your book? Uh, I would say uh, uh, Amazon generally is a, the best way to get a hold of it. I understand it's available through Barnes & Noble, and it's self-published. So lulu.com is my self-publisher if one wants to go that route. It's available both uh, in paper and as well as uh, PDF. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Well, we really thank you for coming on the show. You've been on a couple of our shows, and we missed you last week. 
but uh, thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about yourself and your organization and I do encourage people to do join Newfound and report their stories and um, get your face out of the iPhone and the Android and look up. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you for having me on. Thank you.